Yeah. This is the non-microwave truth. A time of grace production. And I am CL Whiteside. How do y'all like that new beat? That new intro? I'm still geeked about the beat from my man Kenny Camps. He gave me that that fire. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Alright, like I've mentioned before, I'm back to school, and it just makes me realize like how weird kids are, especially teenagers. And the question that a lot of the teenagers or the students at my school ask me is, could I touch your head? And I'm like, no. Like, it look really shiny. I just want to touch it. It kind of looks like a milk dud. No, you cannot touch my head. They act like they're going to get some special powers from it or something. And this made me think about Jesus and the woman who touched his garment and was healed from her bleeding immediately. And at first, I was going to make the first world problem question this. Could like an animal or a mosquito or something like that get some special healing or special power from just touching God or in a mosquito's case, sucking his blood? But then I was like, that's kind of obviously not the, the reason why this woman was healed, just because she touched him. It was because of her faith, which Jesus tells us in Luke 8. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. But this did make me think about this though. Did Jesus perform miracles on animals? We know that every miraculous sign that Jesus did in the Bible is not recorded. And this is not in the Bible. Nowhere does it say this. This is a personal feeling or th- and thought that I have. I don't think the animal healings would be in the Bible or recorded Because then some people would start thinking that animals are just as important or equal as people. Now, I could be wrong, but I also could be right. But our first world problem is this today. Do you think that people brought their animals to Jesus and asked him to heal the animals? And do you think Jesus healed the animals? I think I'm going to have to say yes. I think that people did bring their animals from time to time. Because some people, they, they love their dogs. They love their little hamsters. They love their little bunnies. I guess back then it would have been like they love their donkeys. Or they love their cattle. Their little calf. Because I know people who have spent thousands of dollars on surgeries for their dogs or cats to make sure and try to give them the longest, best life possible. So I I definitely think people would have brought pets or animals to Jesus to heal. But this is our first world problem today. One, do you think that people brought animals to Jesus? And two, do you think Jesus healed those animals? And this is our first world problem. It is dinner time. The title of this episode is, Who Are You? This is part two of last week's episode. And I just want you to think about this. What are you first? What are you first? Like, who are you? What would you say you are first? What am I first? I'm a man. I'm black. I'm short. I'm buff. I'm bald. I'm a coach. I'm an educator, I'm an uncle, I'm a husband, 
I am a child of God. In my description, I named a ton of things, ton of descriptive things. And that fact that people see what's on the outside, that's what they see first. And that's why it's so hard not to identify with those things first and foremost, especially things like gender or race or how you look. And this is why I think fashion is so huge, because people see this, especially um, Generation Z and millennials. We see it as our first source of communication to someone without saying anything. Like how I dress tells you who I am in a way, like doesn't it? We find value in it. We want to be good and we want to express who we are. This gives us that microwave feeling that makes us feel all good inside. I can't lie. I find value in how I look. Most of us do. Let's be real about that. And this is why I think surgeries are up because we're, we're trying to look better. This is why people pay $250 for a pair of shoes. This is why cosmetology is booming right now. Like that business is booming. And besides the fact that I'm a great online shopper and Macy, Macy's usually has some amazing sales. This is probably why I have over 25 sports coats. And I think this is the same reason why people care about how many likes they get on social media or how many views they can get. The world tells us the more or the better we appear, the better and more awesome that we actually are. But we all know this type of stuff doesn't last because there's always something newer. There's always something better. Or, you know, your, your outfit just gets old or it's weak or maybe you took a picture in it or the next thing you post, it sucks. And then that feeling is fleet. That feeling is always leaving us and always needing to be replaced. Like it, it just can't last. It runs out quicker than gas in a Chevy Ram truck that's driving all day. Now, all of you can you can hear me. But let's say you actually saw me. You would be able to see that I'm a man. You might be able to see that my head is shining. You might be able to see that I'm buff or that I'm short. And you could see that I'm, I'm black. And that last one about being black is something that I want you to be real about seeing. Because I hate when people say, you know, I, I don't see color. Yes, you do. Maybe it just doesn't have a negative influence on you, but it has some type of influence on you. And it's something that you can see. It's like if you see an attractive person that has some influence on you. And research shows that they usually have it easier in life or they get the benefit of the doubt. Now, of course, we can get to a point where if we see an attractive person, other things start to outweigh that and we learn to look past that quicker. But something that I'm, I'm very real with myself about is that it's hard not to judge a book by its cover. So I try to read as many books as I can. And when you read the books and you get to know people for yourself, because our society will tell you if they are of this culture or, or this race or they have this role or title, this is how they will be. And at the same time, we need to be really, really good about reading the real life good book because our culture tells us to be whatever we feel. Like if you feel this, then this is what your sexuality is. Don't deny your feelings. I'm a man. But if I feel like I'm a lizard, I can call myself a lizard and I can identify with lizards. Now, not to seem I, I don't want to seem insensitive, but I do want to make the point that feelings are are real. But every feeling is not a fact. And even more importantly, feelings change all the time. This makes me think about suicide and how people feel in those moments. 
And in general, usually there's a feeling that a person has where they say to themselves, life would be better if I wasn't here. And that's real. Like that feeling sucks. It has to be taken seriously, but it's not a fact. When we get to saying these things, we are saying and battling with who we are. And we're trying to explain where our value comes from or comes through. And the microwave truth is to find out who we are through the world, through the world's lens and be that at any cost. The world tells us this is where our value comes from. And we want to identify with so many things that the world has lied to us about and told us matter like our lives actually depended on it. We talk about we talked about in our last episode how we are told that our value comes from our choices or our successes or failures or our gifts or our talents. And today I really want to look at I want us to look at how we've been lied to or told to look at our value through our environment or our given culture. And how we've been lied to look at our our value and who we are through our feelings. And a book I mentioned before was Who I Am by Dr. Reverend Phil Hebner. And he, he mentions in there that feelings are good to express, but you don't want your feelings to become your identity because feelings change so much. And our feelings can cause us to lose track of the fact that we have identity in Christ. Because I can't lie to you, if, if I acted on my feelings, I feel like at times smacking people. I feel like cussing them out. I feel like looking at some parents and be like, man, you are an idiot. But he mentions through the book that we don't want to identify with our feelings because we have to realize that we have a new status before God. I need to realize and embrace and praise and glorify God for the fact that I literally have Christ inside of me and and through me. The spirit of God is in me and with me and can lead me and not just my feelings or the things that this world lies to me and tells me to be about. And on this second part of this episode, who you are. I definitely want to look at some people in the Bible who struggle with some of the same identity things that we struggle with today. And you better believe that they struggle with these things. And the question who you are, it applied to them, too. Like, what did they find their value in? And the first one I want to look at is just Moses. Moses wanted to be an Israelite first and foremost, and he was identifying with his culture. And he he lost it, though. He ended up killing an Egyptian who was beating on another Israelite. And I know that's extreme, but how many times in our culture do certain races or cultures not get along and then they do these type of things to cut down one another, to prove that they are really down for the culture, to prove that they really are something else. And I want to point out that the Israelite that Moses went to defend was being mistreated, was being persecuted. It was socially unjust, but two wrongs don't make it right. And Moses going and killing him was wrong. And Moses was trying to identify with his feelings and trying to prove or identify with battling for his people first and foremost. And because Moses did this, who he was or who he is became even more confusing. And he literally had to find himself and wander figuratively and literally. And you can check this out in Exodus chapter two. Someone who was close to Moses is Moses's brother, Aaron. And in Exodus 32, there's something that we all battle with at times. And the reason I wanted to look at him is because in our culture, we don't want to offend anyone. We have to be very careful what we say. We want to be politically correct. And the identity issue that we we battle with here in identifying who we are 
is there are some of us that we want to be liked at almost any cost. We want to let people know we love them and we want to come off as being, you know, nice and compassionate. Like who doesn't? But it comes to a point where we celebrate and we support support things and okay things that are clearly wrong. Because like if the number one thing you want to do is to be accepted or or liked or come off as nice, you have a tendency to tell people what they want to hear. And there's not a lot of room for disagreement and standing up for Christ in. Like if you have a friend that is abusive physically or verbally, you shouldn't be supporting their behavior acting like it's okay. And, you know, it's one thing to not bash homosexuals, but it's another thing to wear a shirt and say, love is love. And I don't care if a man kisses a man or a woman kisses a woman. There are bigger issues in the world or trying to protest and support their lifestyle because God didn't okay that. Or you get to a point where you have to lie for someone and you're supporting them being wrong and you see someone is clearly uh, addicted to a drug or anything of that nature and you want to be nice so you continue to support their habit or give them that, that alcohol or give them that pill. And that doesn't make any sense. And Aaron was in that position where he wanted to be accepted and he wanted to be cool and he wanted to be liked by the Israelites. So when they came to him and said, Aaron, come make us a God who will go before us because Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't really know what has happened to him. Like they forgot about Moses. They forgot about God. Like doesn't our culture forget about the spiritual leaders and, and, and where God is at. And some people say, well, where is God? And what did Aaron do? Aaron didn't point them back to God. Aaron created a golden calf. Why? Because in that moment, the number one thing that he wanted to identify with is being an Israelite was being accepted, was being cool, what was doing what was trendy at the moment. And we see that ultimately the Lord had to strike the people with the plague because of what they did with the calf that Aaron had made. We just have to remember that there is a way to lovingly disagree and not support things that go against God's word. It, it, it may be tough, though, and it may even cost us some status or some of relationships. And I got this from Mike Novotny. There are some things that you can't hold on to and end up inside of God's house and be a part of his family. Now, I want to take a look at Peter and Peter wanted to be a Jew first. And I can see us having the same issues or problems because we want to represent our hometown or represent our culture or represent our race. And, and Peter is a, a perfect example of wanting to impress the wrong people. And he just got to go on with the wave. How many times do we want to impress or be like the rest of the people in our society or in our culture or in the, the community that we live in? And in Galatians, we see that Peter had been kicking it and hanging out with the Gentiles tough. Like he was eating with them. He was having kickbacks with them. He was it was the whole shebang. But when some of his old Jewish buddies, they came back around, he felt the need to identify and let that culture be first and foremost what his identity was and he kicked the gentiles to the side because they had some obvious cultural differences like circumcision it says peter wouldn't eat with the gentiles anymore he was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted of the necessity of circumcision and my guess is peter felt or had that feeling like when someone tells you you aren't really something like you aren't really a milwaukee you really aren't black you really aren't a real woman. You really aren't an American because we're not moving exactly how the rest of the people are moving. 
And no one wants to hear that criticism about what it means to really be fill in the blank. So when Peter felt that he wasn't going to be accepted by that, that group that he had identified with before, he really didn't know how to act or respond. And that's the same thing that happens with us. And that's tough and confusing because sometimes we outgrow our, our hometown. We outgrow our community or our old friends or even family members. And they want us to be stuck. They want us to stay in the exact same position and tell us who we are. But we see that Peter gets called out for this. And Paul explains why he's wrong. Paul asks this. He says, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? And when he's talking about this tradition, it's not actually God's word. And it's not about keeping this old law, but it's more about a person being made right with God by faith in Christ Jesus. Like it's not about obeying the law. And what's beautiful about this passage in Galatians chapter 2 when Paul comes at Peter about this is he mentions and he touches on identity so hard. And he says this, he says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So that old person that you once knew, I'm not him anymore. I'm not her anymore because Christ lives in me and has given me a new person to be. Now, I mentioned those things that you can see on the outside. But something that people in the Bible struggle with that we struggle with as an American culture today in society is the fact that people want to identify with their sexuality first and foremost. And the example that comes to mind is King David. And when King David was going after Bathsheba, it was all about him getting what he wanted when he wanted it. That's what it means to be a man. And it's like, nah, that's not what it means to be a man. The microwave truth is to objectify people. Get your confidence, get your pride, get your identity through sex. Like a lot of us find our, our value through this. And another example in the Bible that jumps out in my mind is the woman at the well. And that was in John chapter four. And Jesus spoke to her because she had went through five husbands and the man she was currently with wasn't her husband. And what we see with that is. People probably don't realize how much they identify with their sexuality first. And this goes for straight and especially for people who are openly gay. And I'll get back to that point. But but think about this. Boys get told or pushed to believe you are not a real man until you hit some till you have sex. Women are getting ruthless now. Like women want to do what men have been doing for centuries. Multiple sex partners. Try not to have any attachment. Make it just sex. But what does God have to say about this? He tells us that sex is between one man and one woman that are married. Someone openly gay or having sex outside of marriage does not want to hear that their lifestyle is wrong. Someone in one of these sins seems as though they hear that his or her identity is wrong because in their mind, sexuality is the core of them being like it's the core of them existing. And it's who they are. And they identify with that first and foremost. And most don't even know why it bothers them so much when they are told they are wrong. But this hits it on the head. In our culture, this is one of the most microwave truths. It's speak your truth. Be who you are. Do you, boo-boo. But, like, that's not an absolute truth. That's another microwave truth that we're told. To be what you feel you should be. And I got a lot of this from Mike Novotny's book, Gay and God. And in there, he talks about in Jesus, we find something better than our truth. We find the real truth. And that's the non-microwave truth. 
And even things that seem good to identify with first and foremost can go bad or go sideways if that's our greatest value. And I think about Sarah, Abraham's wife in the Bible. Being a parent is awesome and is a true blessing. But with Sarah, we see that her greatest value was in being a mother first and foremost. And that's how she got into the point where she wanted to manipulate the situation and make God be on her schedule instead of her being on God's schedule. And because she identified with being a mother first and foremost, she did something that we would look at and be like, that makes no sense. She told another woman to have sex with her husband and then she would become the mother of that child that she didn't give birth to. And at times, something that is good, like parenthood, can become an idol or it can be something that we want to identify to the point that we want to play God. And we want to find our value through that. And looking at that, we wonder why she could do that. And my guess would be she didn't feel like a real woman. She didn't feel complete. She didn't feel like a, a great wife because she could not bear a child to her husband. And looking at their culture... If you didn't have a child, something was wrong with you. She felt like she was missing out on something. And this is where we see that the world wants to tell you who you are first and foremost. Like, you are a strong woman. So all that stuff about a man being the head and the leader in the church, man, kick rocks with that. You are a Christian, but you better let these men know, girl. Like, you better let them know. Or I talked about myself and how America sees me first as black and then as a man. But what does that even mean? Like in some cases, it means I'm supposed to act a certain way or talk or think a certain way. And some of that is great and some of that is horrible. But really, I've noticed and experienced that if a person doesn't do something in a particular way, then they question who they are. Like people would question my blackness or my masculinity. For you, they might question your American pride or your loyalty. And that can be super tough, especially if that's what you or I identify with first and foremost. Some of you might say, since I'm denying how I feel, though, or how if you deny how you feel, you're being fake. But do you know what Christ says about that? And I got to read this whole thing from Luke chapter nine, verse 24 and 26. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their crosses daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. So this is addressing all of those feelings that we have that go against his word. And then he says this. He says, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. That life is the life our culture or our feelings tell us to be. Like that life has to die or has to be put on the back burner. And he tells us why when he says this and he asks this question. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world? and yet lose and forfeit their very self. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. So think about that. Because I want to identify something or I want to project who I am, I'm going to lose my whole soul for that? Like I'm going to forfeit everything just to say that I am this. And when you really get to dissecting and to digging into stuff, especially... um identity and who you are and what you should be. There is no true or legit book or definition on what it means in our society that um, addresses today on how or what it means to be a woman or to be a man or to be black or Hispanic or white or Asian. 
or how this is how it should be if you're tall or short or American or a parent or a child, except except for God's word, the Bible. That's the only thing. And the most beautiful thing about this is it's going to remind you. It's going to remind you you are redeemed and bought back child of God. You are valuable and worth a perfect man and God dying for you. Like the ultimate prize in life is your life. And Yeshua, Jesus, he paid for that to show you how much you were worth. So when you think about who you are, know without a shadow of a doubt, you have the identity of Christ. That encompasses a, a hope, a security, a sense of, of truth that you are worthy of eternal life. You are worthy of love. You can go against anything because Jesus is the one who will handle it. And the best thing we can wrap our identity in is Christ. So I ask you again, who are you? Stop letting your culture define you. Stop letting this world define you. Stop letting your successes or failures define you. Stop letting your feelings define you. Stop letting something that can be gone in the blink of an eye define you. Like, discover who you really are through Christ. Like, don't listen to the devil's lie that you are enough by yourself or the devil's lie that you are not enough because of your past. Be what God wants you to be. Wrap your identity in Christ and his victory on the cross that makes you and I sanctified. And celebrate. Celebrate and find hope in his resurrection and renewing of each one of us. This is the non-microwave truth. Thanks for joining me on part two of this episode of Who Are You? Peace Punch, Captain Crunch. Say no to drugs and yes to Jesus. I am out.